Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs on the Kingdom of God and focusing on the Kingdom of God as the central theme of Jesus Christ and therefore the heart of His Gospel, the heart of the Christian Gospel, We've been pointing out that the gospel is rooted in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. It's a fatal mistake of biblical interpretation to cut the gospel off from its roots in the Old Testament. The key to understanding this major point is found in Galatians 3 and verse 8. In that text we read that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. And in Romans 15 and verse 8, Paul remarked that Jesus Christ was a minister to the Jews to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, it's an obvious fact that Jesus did indeed come to confirm the great promises made to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Take, for example, the great land promise made to Abraham. You remember, of course, how Abraham, as he set out on his journey of faith, went in obedience to a land that God would show him. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, we read that God said that he would establish his covenant between himself and Abraham and Abraham's descendants after him throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be the God of Abraham and to be the God of the seed of Abraham. And then in Genesis 17 and verse 8, God made this momentous promise to Abraham, which is the bedrock, solid foundation of the Christian gospel, as we shall see. I will give to you, Abraham, and to your seed after you all the land of your sojournings, or the land where you are now an alien, as other translations render it, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Do you see there that the gift of the land to Abraham in perpetuity is the heart of the covenant, the fundamental groundwork covenant that God made with the father of the faithful? And remember again that the gospel, the Christian gospel, was preached beforehand to Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 8. And remember always that Jesus, the function of Jesus Christ was to confirm those momentous promises made by God to Abraham. Romans 15 and verse 8. Now, I'm sure you realize that this central promise and gift of the land in perpetuity is the golden thread that runs throughout the drama of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as we see God dealing with his people Israel. Everything hinges on the gift of the land. When the people obeyed, they were allowed to dwell in the land in security. When they disobeyed, they were kicked out of the land, expelled from the land. But the promise was constantly held before them that ultimately Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and indeed the faithful in Israel, would inherit the land forever in a condition of security and peace and well-being. Let me read to you from Psalm 105. To show how essentially important this promise of the land made to Abraham was in the history of the Old Testament, that 77% of our Bible we call the Old Testament, and really should be called the Hebrew Bible, 
because it's the foundation of the Christian gospel. In Psalm 105 and verse 6 we read, O seed of Abraham, God's servant, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, God is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I am going to give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance, when there were only a few men in number, very few and strangers in the land. And they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. God permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, or my messiahs, as the Hebrew original really reads there. Do not touch my messiahs, or anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Do you see there that the patriarchs of Israel are entitled to be called prophets because they represented God's plan and spoke about his great design for the future? And in verse 42 of Psalm 105, we read further about this oath-bound covenant of the land made to Abraham. God, we read, remembered his holy word with Abraham his servant, and he brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout, and he gave them also the lands of the nations, that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor, so that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. I was reading there from Psalm 105, verses 6 through 15, and verses 42 to 45. The covenant made with Abraham is the basis of all hope in the Bible. And I remind you once again, that not only did God repeat and confirm the promise often to Abraham, he confirmed it also to Isaac, the son of Abraham, and to Jacob, his son, and to Israel as a permanent covenant. It was the word spoken to a thousand generations. In verse 42 of Psalm 105, it's called God's holy word, the covenant with Abraham. It's the bedrock foundation of all good, sound understanding of God's purposes in our world. Now, Jesus Christ came with the express purpose of reconfirming the promises made to the patriarchs, the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In Romans 15 and verse 4, I read as follows, Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you also to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us to the glory of God. And I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. I'm sure you realize that when Paul used the expression the truth of God, he was referring to the gospel. And Paul refers the truth of God or the gospel there to a confirmation 
of the promises given to the fathers. And also in verse 9, for the Gentiles also to glorify God for his mercy. You see, there's one gospel in the Bible. It's one gospel which is a confirmation of the promises made to Abraham. And the promise made to Abraham, of course, consisted of a twofold message. Firstly, the great distinguished seed who was to arise in the family of Abraham, that's to say Jesus Christ, according to Galatians 3 and verse 16. But secondly, and most importantly, the land promise in perpetuity, the possession of the earth and the land, indeed, of the world. In Romans 4.13, Paul said, the promise to Abraham was that he would be heir of the world. And Jesus had said exactly the same thing in Matthew 5, verse 5, where he expressly confirmed the land promise made to Abraham. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to have the land as their possession. That's exactly what was promised to Abraham and was promised to Jesus and is promised by Jesus to all those who follow him as they develop the character, the Christian character of meekness and the other qualities of character listed in the famous Sermon on the Mount. And so you see, the gospel preached to Abraham is the gospel preached by Jesus Christ also. It has to do with the great land promise, the promise of the earth or the land and the promise of the kingdom. In the Bible, you don't go to heaven. That's not the objective of the Christian faith. Rather, you inherit the land or the earth. You inherit the kingdom of God at the second coming of Jesus. You gain a crown when Jesus comes back and not before that time. And you rule as a king on the earth in the future. Revelation 5 verse 10. Putting all those grand promises together, it's not difficult to see that they're all based on the original covenant and oath-bound promise made by God to Abraham in Genesis 12, chapter 13, chapter 15, and chapter 17. And that great promise of the land was celebrated in song in the famous Psalm 105, where the oath-bound covenant made with the patriarchs, who are described as prophets and messiahs, is said to be God's holy word. That comes into the New Testament as the gospel or the truth, and is the confirmation of the truth of the gospel of the promises made to Abraham that form the basis of the ministry of Jesus Christ and is therefore the basis of our Christian faith. No wonder then that Jesus always spoke of the land and the kingdom of God. And when a young man came to ask him what he should do to have success before God, the man asked, what shall I do to have the life of the age to come? The age to come is the same as the kingdom of God in the New Testament, somewhat vaguely and inadequately translated as everlasting life. Now, the life that you'll gain in the kingdom of God in the future is indeed life forever. It is immortality. It cannot come to an end. It is endless life. But the expression in the original Greek is a little bit more precise in the sense that it designates that life as something that you're going to gain in the age to come. Remember in your studies that the term everlasting or eternal life really means the life of the age to come. It means the life that will be gained finally in the kingdom of God, which Jesus will establish on the earth when he returns at his second coming. Now, what can Christians have today? They can have a down payment, a first installment, a pledge of that future life. The Spirit of God is a pledge, a guarantee of a greater amount of spirit to be gained at the second coming. 
At that point, we will be made entirely immortal. At present, of course, we are mortal. We can die. But as Christians, if we receive the words of Jesus, the Spirit-filled words of Jesus, the words of the gospel of the kingdom, if we take them into our system, if we embrace them and love them as the truth, then we receive a down payment of Spirit now, a guarantee and a pledge of a greater amount of Spirit to be received in the future resurrection. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our heart or mind as a pledge. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. In Ephesians 1 and verse 13, Paul speaks about the fact that Christians, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's to say the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached it, having also believed you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is given as a pledge of our inheritance. There it is again. The Holy Spirit given now is a guarantee of the future inheritance which will come to Christians when Jesus returns and confers on the faithful the gift of the kingdom of God, the gift of the land, Matthew 5, 5, and rulership in the kingdom with him. Revelation 5 and verse 10. I've written a book on the kingdom of God entitled The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. I'd like to send you a copy of this free for your own personal Bible study at home. You can also request an article entitled The Covenant Made with Abraham or a copy of the tape you're listening to. This will give you the opportunity of studying these important issues for yourself at home. Remember to check the facts we've been presenting carefully in the light of your own Bible. Meanwhile, join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.